Ladies and gentlemen, drivers, gig workers, and everyone in between, welcome to This Week in Rideshare Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Hoffa. It is Friday, January 12th, and this week, driverless cars are immune. Uber shrugs the rules and how $110,000 became just $14,000. Legal Rideshare breaks it down. And from Legal Ride Chair, I'm joined by the co-founder and lead attorney, Bryant Greening. Bryant, happy, cold, and terrible Friday. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself, but a happy Friday to you as well, Jerry. Yeah, that it's, if you're in Chicago right now, it's uh, it's not great. You know, I can deal with the cold, I can deal with the snow, but it's like rain, slush, snow, cold, wind. It's Chicago winter. That's what it is. It's nasty, and it's it's also not great driving weather. So everybody, be careful out there. Yeah, exactly. Be careful out there. You know, anything can happen, and it often, as as Brian, you've said many times, if it can happen, it will happen. So that's that's a really good point. We're gonna go back to uh, again three major topics that we we saw this week that we think are worthy of talking about, and we're gonna jump right into it um, with this. This is driverless cars immune from tickets so apparently driverless cars can break the rules and this is from nbc news they first reported this uh, they said quote driverless cars have been documented running red lights blocking emergency responders and swerving into construction zones uh, the nbc uh, bay area has learned that when driverless cars break the rules of the road there's not much law enforcement can do uh, in california traffic tickets can be written only if there's an actual driver in the car so while autonomous vehicles in California have received parking citations, the state's transportation laws appear to leave driverless vehicles immune from receiving any type of traffic uh, ticket stemming from moving violations. This actually really hits home, Brian. A little while ago, you had mentioned that uh, a couple months ago that really the, the laws have not caught up to what's happening with autonomous vehicles. And this article nails it. I mean, that's what it's that's what it's saying. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So, you know, the story itself is kind of, you know, I don't want to say humorous, but it's just you you find out that the, there are no rules for these cars. They're not getting tickets. It's kind of funny to think about the idea of an officer, you know, stopping an autonomous vehicle and handing over a ticket. But what what it's showing us is that we just don't have the proper uh, rules, regulations, ordinances, or plans for autonomous vehicles in our cities. There needs to be a way to hold these vehicles accountable when they do break the rules because they're every bit as dangerous as a car that has a person in them. If an autonomous vehicle runs a red light and hurts somebody, it can hurt them in the exact same way as a driver uh, in a driver-occupied vehicle. So we need the cities to step in and say, this is how we're going to deal with this problem. And to me, it's, you know, it's kind of like um, – you know, going through a toll, you know, if you don't pay your toll, you don't get a ticket right away, they send you a ticket in the mail. I think that these companies need to be held responsible in that way, um, pay fines, have repercussions, lose their licenses, just like real drivers would when they break the rules and they can find out by mail. Maybe they don't actually get a ticket handed to them like a, like we would, but you know, the same rules should apply. Right. Yeah. The article is interesting. They even went into things like which again, we sort of talked about, you know, the, the problem is it's sort of an open experiment and, you know, everyone in the Bay Area is kind of, uh, you know, unwilling participants in this autonomous world now. So, you know, really it's, they're, they're just kind of saying, all right, well, you guys are the test subjects and, and there's obviously a lot at stake because we've seen these cars 
lose control, kill people that, you know, just get destroyed, destroy property. If they do, it's, uh, you know, it's not really that great. I understand that there needs to be learning curves and there's always kind of growing pains, but it's a problem, as you pointed out, when growing pains are injuring or, or killing someone. Um, and they've even, right. they, sorry, go ahead. No, no. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say the fact that we're guinea pigs in this and, and that they're not giving the uh, civilians a, a real choice as to whether they participate, I think the companies should be held more responsible. There should be greater repercussions when they break the rules because you know, the, these, the technology is not there yet. Like, I understand that we're all – if we could perfect driver, driverless cars – the world would be a better place. There would be fewer fatalities. We it would be more efficient. We'd get from point A to point B uh, much faster. Traffic would would ease, but it's not there. So while we're working out those kinks, and while these companies are putting these vehicles on the road, they need to have real repercussions when things go wrong. Because when they go wrong, people are hurt, people are killed. Um, you know, if the cars are speeding, that means they're they're not working. If the cars are running red lights, that means they're not working. And perhaps if the fines are great enough, if there's a real hit on the companies when something goes wrong, maybe that will push them towards perfection a little faster. Right. Yeah, I could have said it better myself. And it, it, we always come back kind of to the same answer. It's you hit them in the pocketbook and then things seem to get regulated or safer or better. It's just... It's unfortunate, but that is just that's how it seems to really work. Uh, but actually, it's a great segue into uh, our second topic. You're talking about rules and the gig companies. Well, this is a really interesting article. How are gig companies responding to these new rule changes? Uh, and really, basically, they're saying rule changes. What rule changes? Uh, this is from Fast Company. And they said uh, the Department of Labor on Tuesday enacted a new rule aimed at preventing the misclassification of workers as independent contractors. The effort first proposed in October of last year uh, provides a guide to whether a worker is an employee or an independent operator under the Fair Labor Standards Act, a difference that could afford uh, someone key legal protections and compensation. Now, this is set to take effect March 11th. So the article then went and talked to all the major gig companies. And as I said, they basically are saying, what rule changes? Uh, DoorDash said in a statement that it did not believe the ruling would have a big impact on the company. Instacart emphasized that the ruling itself doesn't really reclassify workers, but rather provides a framework for future consideration. Lyft also made it clear that there's no immediate impact on the company as of Tuesday. Uh, and of course, Uber chimed in and stressed its workers' interest in flexibility and the fact that the rule does not have any current impacts on the company. They even said this rule does not uh, materially change the law under which we operate and won't impact the classification of over 1 million Americans who tune to Uber to make money. I don't. Maybe I'm reading this wrong, Brian, but I feel like we live in a world now where a law gets passed and big companies can go, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Yeah. yeah, I think Uber and Lyft and Instacart and all those others have been doing that for a long time, where they turn a blind eye to the rules and regulations that very much do affect them. Um, I'm not here saying that this rule changes an Uber driver from an independent contractor to a uh, into an employee. I mean, that, I think the courts are going to need to decide that. There's going to there is a six part test where um, I could see the courts coming down on either side, but for Uber, Lyft, and the the other companies to have the audacity to, to just plainly say it doesn't affect us. 
I think they're jumping to a conclusion that there's just not really evidence for. This is going to have to play out. Um, I can tell you that if drivers are transformed into employees, the companies are fundamentally changed. They, um, the, these companies' business models are based on the fact that workers are independent contractors and they don't have to pay for certain protections like workers' compensation, minimum wage, overtime hours, things like that. Um, so if I was a gig company, I would be concerned. Um, I would be hiring many, many lawyers to um, consider these six factors, um, be writing briefs as to why um, we, you know, we, the gig company, fall on the independent contractor side rather than the employer side or employee side. Because if the courts find that the workers are employees, it changes the whole industry. Right. I guess my question is, is there any way, you know, is there any way that these companies can do what they usually do, which is sue their way out of this or fight it? Or is it just, is it set in stone now? Well, I, I think that they will challenge it. There, there are mechanisms for appealing and, and claiming that certain things are illegal or unconstitutional. And I would imagine that the companies are going to try to go down that path to, to not have this uh, take effect. But the fact of the matter is when you're dealing with the federal government, it's very different than when you're dealing with a um, local uh, municipality or, you know, like we've seen them challenge rules and regulations that have been close to passing in cities like uh, Minneapolis and various others. It, this is a much different ballgame. This is the, the federal government who is issuing rules and regulations from the Department of Labor. I mean, it's it's not quite so simple. Uh, and I think, generally speaking, the courts give some, um, you know, some leeway to these departments to decide how they want to run business and how they want to enforce policy. Um, so, this six-factor test isn't really new. It's you know, it's kind of like an ABC test that we've seen in other areas uh, of the country. So it's it's not like they're reinventing the world or the, the or the game here. Um, they're just going back to to a classification standard that we've seen in the past and codifying it more formally. Um, really what this has done is during the, the Trump administration, they were focusing on fewer factors, which um, really gave a benefit to the companies. And I think that this, this six-part test that the Biden administration has put into place makes it a, you know either more balanced or perhaps – um, favors employee over independent contractors. So it's it's all on a spectrum. During the Trump era, it was a little closer to the companies. During this one, it, it seems to be a little closer to the worker. Um, and we'll just have to see how it shakes out when the, the factors are actually applied. Yeah, I'm sure this won't be the last of this. I'm sure it won't be the last that we talk of this. Um, but yeah, like you said, there's mechanisms for them to fight it as we have seen. And as we know, they often come back and fight. So yeah, time will tell as always. Um, uh, we're going to end up with the final article here. How does one go from making $110,000 to $14,000? Well, the answer is simple, by driving for Uber. A business insider reported, quote, Michael, a ride-hailing driver in his late 30s, made more than $110,000 in gross earnings driving for Uber and Lyft in 2022. But after commissions paid to the ride-hailing companies, taxes, and other expenses, he ended up with net earnings of just $14,000. Uh, now, Michael's based in New Jersey. He um, only said to use his first name for fear of repercussion. I uh, shared his tax documents and screenshots of recent rides, and he disclosed how little he took. 
Um, his expenses in 2022 included buying a new engine, having numerous car repairs, and driving amid elevated gas prices. He said he'd noticed ride-hailing driving had become increasingly less profitable after more than 17,000 rides across six years. So yet another story, Brian, of um, someone really breaking down the numbers. We often hear drivers say, it's, you know, it seems worse, it feels worse, I have less money. I mean, this guy's literally bringing receipts, and we're seeing it. it it's one of those stories that we keep hearing over and over. Uh, the fact that rideshare companies are taking more, the expenses are going up, you know, gas prices have gone way up from several years ago. Um, it's There's just there's a lot more difficulty in this industry to make money. Um, and a lot of drivers are so far in, they've, they've invested their whole lives into this work. They've quit their more traditional jobs. They've bought a car. They, um, you know, got rid of daycare because they can be home in more flexible hours. Like they've really transitioned their whole life to being gig workers. And now that the money's just not there, they're kind of stuck. Um, and it's really unfortunate, as we've seen this driver explain and, and show us, um, things continually to go in the wrong direction. Uh, and, and I'm not really sure how they change unless there's regulation or or standards in place, like we were talking about in the last story. You know, I, I don't know that full employer employee status is is um, the answer, but certainly protections like minimum wages. Um, and you know some sort of uh, shared expense in terms of vehicle maintenance or, or whatever else it may be to help ease the burden on the driver and have them understand exactly what they're going to make at, at, at a minimum. Um, that seems to be the only way to really save the worker who's the, the lifeblood of the industry. Right, and they and they do say in the article, which I guess you know is a positive, and we've talked about this in the past, is that. Um, you know, because it's actually so bad, he is enrolling in a bachelor's de- uh, degree program, and that is funded entirely by Uber. I think in 2020, they think they launched that program. So he basically said, look, I can't, I can no longer live on just being a driver, but he is utilizing Uber's resource where you can get a, uh, they either fully funded up front or reimbursed. I forget how it works, but um, so at least he is going back to college for that. So yeah. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that the, the companies are totally evil and don't provide any sort of resources because they do. I, I think it's great that they provide tuition help and um, they, there are things that drivers can tap into. But he, taking these classes, that's going to benefit this driver in the long run. Hopefully he can use his degree to to um, find a, a profession that satisfies him and, and puts him on a, a better economic front. But I would be saying that the more immediate need is better pay, better protections, ensuring that drivers can keep a roof over their heads while they're taking those classes. Um, you know, a lot of these benefits that are being provided are subsidized or their deals with, I think they were with University of Phoenix for a period of time or Arizona State maybe. Um, great. I'm glad that they're offering them. But let's also focus on the now, which is how we're going to buy groceries, pay the electric bill. Um, you know, the, the immediate needs of, of families throughout the, the communities. Yeah, totally, totally cannot agree more. Um, well, that is, that is the articles for this week. And of course, Brian, I'll give you just a moment uh, to talk about Legal Rideshare, what we do, how we can help, and then we'll head off into this very slushy, cold <laughs> weekend. Particularly on days like this, where so much of the country is covered in snow and ice, 
Um, we do want to remind drivers and, and passengers and gig workers everywhere um, that we are here to provide free consultations after an accident or injury. Um, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Time is of the essence. We want to make sure that we can uh, create a uh, solid foundation for your case and make sure that you get everything that you're entitled to, including the cost of medical treatment, lost wages, pain and suffering, you name it. If, if you've suffered a loss because of an accident or injury, um, you are in, entitled to compensation. So LegalRideShare.com is the best way to find us um, and don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. And as I like to say, that is the end of this week in Rideshare. See you next week.